and welcome to Chronically Olympus. We're going to try that again. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Chronically Olympus, the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief, Percy Jackson and the Olympians, and my co-host and I discuss this book series that we're reading. Hello, and welcome to Chronically Olympus, the podcast in which my co-host and I discuss the Percy Jackson and the Olympians series, chapter by chapter. And today we are discussing chapter 12 of The Lightning Thief. This chapter is titled, We Get Advice from a Poodle, which I do feel to some extent over uh, emphasizes the actual role of the poodle in this chapter, but that is a discussion for five minutes from now. I am a poodle hair dyer groomer. Groomer. We call them groomers in the business. Also known as Kristen. And my co-host here. I'm a sailor off the coast of Ephesus. What's that? Pan is dead? Also known as Chris. (laughs) Hello, Chris. Do you like my little dramatic turns that I'm uh, taking in my introductions now? I do. Cool. I do appreciate the dramatic turns. Uh, hello. Hello. Trying to spice them up a little bit. Oh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Got to keep this podcast fresh and exciting. Absolutely. Good job with that intro, by the way. Thanks. Proud of you. So. <laughs> How are you, Kristen? Uh, phew, it's been a day. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We've had like two power outages today because it rained for five minutes. Oh my goodness. We can't have that, can we? Cannot. Uh-huh. That's all. We were going to have some fun rain ambiance in the background, but uh, like Kristen said, it did rain for like five minutes and now it's over until oh. who knows when. It'll probably rain again later. Should we Should we talk about Zeus a little bit? Would that help uh, Brighten a storm? Up the day or, or storm bring to, in the storm? A we storm want. to come in? Yeah, we just keep saying Zeus's name. Yeah, how Maybe. crazy he is. Yeah, he's insane. Yep. <laughs> as we look both look out, out the window, window waiting for a lightning yeah, bolt. As I do a visual gag for this audio podcast. As you often do. <laughs> There's at least one every episode. I feel like that's all we'd have to do for the Patreon is just to post like an actual video recording of us doing this podcast. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I would it's have a... to set up. The camera's there. I could set it up. Yeah, right. it, I bought I, you a fancy camera. I couldn't set it up in such a way that we could both be seen as we do our record setup. I would have to do a second camera. That would be problematic, I'd wouldn't have it? have to have one over there and one over here. Yeah. Anyway, how do we start this podcast, Kristen? We start this podcast with uh, summaries. Cool. Bullet point summaries, even. Cool. Of this very short chapter. Yeah, it uh, mine is not very long. Uh, I was expecting this chapter to be like twice as long as it was, so I was my bullet points in kind of abruptly. Yeah, you were expecting it to be extra long because you read it ahead of time. I read like part of it. I read to the first paragraph break. Okay. Uh huh. You read into this chapter. Yeah, I've done. So I sometimes I just before I just, our last I just, episode. Sometimes and I just, didn't disclaimer the last. Have you read any of the no, next chapter? No, I've not. I, I've read one? none of the next chapter. Oh, wait, do I have to ask this? Does this have to be a part of the intro now, where I no. ask how far ahead you've read now? Nathan would say yes. Yeah. Anyway, would you like to go first, or do you want me to go first? Uh, go ahead and go first. All right, here's my very short list of bullet points. 
Where in the world is Pan? Uncle Ferdinand sure didn't get very far. Rude, but yes, I, I thought the same thing. Grover talks about his failure. Something strange is afoot. Grover avoids talking about his failure, but okay. Uh, more dreams. Hades gives strong Palpatine vibes. Ooh. The poodle seems contrived. Is it? Is it Hades, though? I don't know. We'll talk about that. Anyway, those are my bullet points. Adventures, like, this is a traveling adventure. They're all going to be contrived. Uh-huh. Anyway. Here's mine. It's time to sleep. Exposition about Pan. Searchers search for Pan. Wow. I know. It's crazy. And they never come back. The Furies were looking for something. Dreams. Something wants to use Percy to crawl out of the deep. Grover found a pink poodle named Gladiola. That's it. <laughs> cool. Nothing after that? Well, let's head to the train station, but I think it's, it's funny to end on the subject of the chapter title. Cool. Uh, so we open up this chapter with they're camping out in the woods. Yep. They've escaped uh, the clutches of Antium. Killed her. Sent her head off to uh, the Empire State Building. You know, normal Tuesday stuff. Anyway, so they're camping out in the woods. Uh, cold, dank. They can't light a fire. You know, they don't really have much food. They're in a very low spot here. Uh, but I don't gonna... know if they can't light a fire so much as they choose not to light a fire. Yeah. I feel like Starting a fire is one of those skills that Annabeth would have learned. Probably. Might have a magic magnifying glass for it or something. Well, yeah. This one works in moonlight. Um, anyway, so they're in a really low spot, but they're going to try to get some sleep and decide what to do in the morning. So they start camping out. Annabeth uh, kind of immediately goes to sleep, and then we have a pretty long conversation between Grover and Percy about... Uh, all sorts of things. So there's a lot of stuff to talk about in this conversation. Yes. Um, the first subject being uh, Percy being like, oh, you would be an environmentalist to Grover. Yeah. Well, he gets sad about the state of the woods of being like, there's trash everywhere. It smells bad. Like, there's pollution. Like We can't see the stars because of the pollution because we're in New Jersey. Yeah. Like, only a human wouldn't be an environmentalist. That's what he's like. He's yeah. just like, you people. You've ruined the world. And like, this is the... This is... I think the first time we've really seen Grover upset about something. Mm. Where he's just like, yeah. yeah, no. Screw you, Percy, and your, and your kind. I mean... With your, with your bare legs and your toes. I mean, I don't, I don't think it goes that far. <laughs> but I think that we have seen Grover distressed several times. Uh-huh. Um, for example, when Percy needed to get into the car with his mom and Grover ran to them to rescue them, to save them, basically. Yeah. Um, and get Percy to Camp Half-Blood. Yeah. Um, but he talks about uh, kind of his hopes and dreams and it's just like, you know, this. Uh, he talks about why he wants to become a searcher in the first place. Yeah. Uh, and Pan, who apparently Percy has never, like, heard of, despite having you know, read all of the uh, Mr. Brunner's ancient Greek material and, like, been at camp for a few weeks and studied this stuff. Like, we haven't covered Pan yet. 
cool. Um, I mean, it's hard to remember. There's a lot. <laughs> there's a lot of material there. It's yeah. hard to remember. Uh, you but, mean Pam, like the cooking spray? Yeah, that one. It's another thing that dates this book. Pam isn't a thing anymore. Yeah, it is. Is it? My, it parents, Pam. my parents always have Pam. God, you're going to have so many weird kinds of cancer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know. Sorry. That was a dark joke. You can cut a, that out. It's a great joke, especially when uh, my mom has cancer. Okay, we can cut all that out. Anyway, we're going to be great he- joke. heavily editing this episode. Great joke. Um, but no, we talk about Grover's hopes and dreams a little bit and why he wants to become a searcher. Um, it's apparently 2,000 years ago, God Pan went missing. Uh, somebody reported him dead that the reports of his death might be greatly exaggerated. We don't know. We'll see. Um, but apparently there's been this long line of searchers that have gone out into the wild places of the world and tried to find Pan for the past couple thousand years. And never returned. And none of them ever come back, including Grover's dad. Yep. Like, we have more daddy issues here. We do, yeah. The... I feel like we have established all all of the characters that have names so far in this book that mm. are children have daddy issues. Like, Annabeth doesn't. Annabeth does. She couldn't she couldn't stay with her dad. She stayed at camp because things just didn't work out with her dad. Okay. There's just that one throwaway line. I didn't think it was like a full That's car- a daddy a, issues thing for it's sure. Part of her character. We have, like, Luke and all of the other kids that are in um, Luke's house. What's that god's name? Hermes. All of the other kids in Hermes' house that are all just, like, kind of like... Oh, what What is the word I'm looking for? It's like they're all bitter and, like, dejected by their father. Uh-huh. And it's also all of the kids that are unclaimed that were in that house. So all of the ones that don't have a parent who has claimed them. Yeah. So it's a lot of, it's a lot of daddy issues. Yeah. <laughs> Parental issues. Uh, but yeah. Uh, Uncle Ferdinand was also a searcher. Apparently he made it to uh, New Jersey. I mean, you're assuming <laughs> anyway. that he started at Mount Olympus. That's not necessarily. I guess that's true. I was thinking that or the camp. Like maybe he started in romania and like he did really make it very far but yeah we don't know where uncle ferdinand was from that's a deep lore that we haven't gotten into yet i'm sure he's got a, like a uh, wikipedia article on him that yeah. we can read later uh might be spoilers though yep so anyway uh that's what grover's whole deal is uh and then percy's just like yeah so that's cool, but how are we going to get into the underworld in the first place? Yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, wait. I forgot <laughs> Annabeth will have a plan. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, she always does. She's the brains of the operation. She's got the plan. Uh, but then... He says it in a snarky way. Yeah. He, You could read that as a non-snarky thing, but then the next line shows, like, it was very much intended to be a snarky comment. Yes. And Grover's just like, she's a good person at heart. She forgave me for what I did. Oh, wait. What'd you do, Grover? And then Percy, and Percy kind of puts it all together, which we, I mean, we kind of put together like six chapters ago, whenever, whenever this first gets addressed, because the timelines match up to where Grover on his first mission was the one who was escorting Annabeth and what's her name? Zeus's kid. Yeah. Forgot her name already. Yeah. The tree, uh, into the camp and she got killed. Grover failed. He took a five year hiatus off of the whole thing. Uh, but Grover's not going to go into more of that now. But we have officially confirmed that it was him. Yeah. Which we knew. I mean, 
Grover hasn't said it, but yes, we know. Don't you think we're so clever for figuring out the plot of a children's book? I, I uh, feel <laughs> so clever. I always feel so, a, so clever. As a 30-something, you're just like, yeah, I got it. Yep. Triangle peg goes in the triangle hole. Yes. <laughs> um, but anyway. And then he moves on from that really quickly. And he talks about this conversation he had with Annabeth back at Medusa's uh, about the whole thing kind of seeming off. And this is what I really wanted to get into in this very short chapter where Grover's just like, something isn't right here. Mm-hmm. Because so far it's almost been too easy. Like, why didn't Mrs. Dodds kill you earlier? Like, why were the harpies holding back in the bus? They didn't really attack. They didn't, you know, they, they seemed like they were kind of easy. Well, yeah, and they specifically mention that the Furies asked, where is it? Yeah. So, and I really have wanted to talk about this for two weeks since I read this chapter the first time, because this is kind of the first moment where I was just like, oh, hey, maybe there's actually something interesting going on with the plot, because I've been taking it at face value so far. And then I read this section, and I was just like, I would love for the rug to be pulled out from under me. Yeah. Like, I'd love to be surprised by this book. I don't know what the plot is going into it. And so Grover talks about, you know, maybe something's not right here, and maybe there's something to Medusa's, like, cryptic statement about how the gods are using you, Percy. Yeah. Uh, so what are your thoughts on this? What do you think's going on? I think, I definitely think something's going on. Um, I think that there is a lot more to this theft than we know about. I I now no longer think that Hades stole the lightning bolt. Uh-huh. And I'm more convinced that it was, I'm even more convinced now that it was Luke. Yeah. Than I ever was before. But do we think Luke is still the pawn of Hades or is he acting on his own? I think he's the pawn of Hermes. I think Hermes is being a problem. Uh-huh. I don't, I don't think, I mean, it's possible. It's possible that Hades recruited Luke to steal it and Luke never turned it over. Yeah. But, if, so the Furies are, you know, the minions of Hades. Yeah. So if they're after Percy and, th- and, they, and they think that Percy has the lightning bolt. Yeah. That means this isn't necessarily a plot by Hades. Yeah. Because if he if he's got the wrong information, he's not behind the whole thing. Correct. So who is? Maybe I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, yeah. I think it could be Hermes. I think it could just be Luke trying to get Hermes' attention because yeah. he has daddy issues, as we've established. Yeah. I mean, I like it so far. I like speculating. Obviously, it doesn't give us a lot of information in this chapter we can go off of. Um, I would love for it not to be so obvious that Hades is the big bad of the series. Yeah. Like, if he's just a player in the game, I would I, it would be much more interesting plot-wise. So I'm hoping that happens, but I'm trying not to read too much of my own uh, optimism desires. and desires <laughs> into the book. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, and obviously we, we have very little to go on, but but that'll be interesting as it unfolds yeah. later on. So we'll see, but we'll keep, uh, I'll keep my eye open for, for twists. Yeah, and I and I yeah, I definitely feel like there's an element here with the dream that tells me it's probably still Hades and Hades is going to benefit from this. Hades is hoping to benefit from this whole thing. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah. 
Uh, so we'll, we'll talk about the dream, because that's essentially what happens next. Uh, I mean, Grover and Percy talk a little bit about why this is all weird. Um, oh, we then go into the conversation uh, where Percy comes clean with Grover, and it's just like, so BT dubs really don't care about the tri- the, uh, the lightning bolt or the whole Poseidon thing. I just want to get my mom back. And Grover's just like, duh. Yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> that's, been, met. that's been obvious this whole time. Uh, but also you're lying to yourself and, you know, you care about what your dad thinks of you. Yeah. Because why are you trying to send a message with sending Medusa's head to Olympus? Like, why are you, why are you showing off if you don't care? Yeah. And Percy's just like, no, I don't care what my dumb dad thinks about me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> totally. It's my Percy Jackson impression. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he won't admit to it. Grover's just like, yep, whatever, go to sleep. Uh, and then Percy goes to sleep and has this dream. There's another dream. So what happens in the dream, Kristen? In the dream, Percy is standing at the edge of a giant pit of some kind. Um, and it seems endless and deep and bottomless. And there are voices and wisps and clouds and basically spirits around him uh-huh. and he is being tempted basically to stand there and bargain with whatever's in the pit which we assume is hades probably which can be assumed to be hades might be something else might yeah. be a titan of some kind might be something else we don't know yeah and it is trying to offer percy his mother Mm-hmm. in return for nothing that's actually openly shared. We don't know. Yeah. But he is standing at the edge of this precipice, this deep pit, and he feels like this thing deep inside is grabbing onto him and pulling itself up by him rather than trying to pull Percy into the pit. Yes. So the imagery seems to suggest that, like, whatever is in the pit is using him. Yeah. Uh, just like, you know, the gods. Yeah. Just like Medusa said. Yeah. He's just going to keep being a pawn of somebody. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a line specifically here that says, uh, where this voice is talking to him and says, too weak, too young, but perhaps he will do. Yeah. So, Percy is, it, it almost makes it seem like Percy's incidental to this. Like, yeah. it's not Percy that this thing wants. This thing just wants... A hero in this position. Yeah. And the fact that he's... Maybe even the fact that he's Poseidon's kid doesn't matter. Yeah. Which is interesting. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, there's a lot more nuance to it. Like, we don't necessarily know who or what this thing is. Uh-huh. And so I think that there's a chance that it might be something else besides Hades, but... Yeah. It's kind of like a matter of time and energy of reading and storytelling before we figure it all out yeah uh and throughout this whole thing uh i was kind of reading this whispering voice in like a very like you know cal darth sidious comically evil kind of way yeah uh this is why i put that down especially with the line uh good it murmured good yeah good anakin (laughs) um it's uh kind of in the nose this this book did come out after that movie so you know there's all yeah. A little inspiration there. 
So just subtle nod. Yeah, it. I mean, it is. <laughs> it is. It is very dark, and it is very obviously sinister in that. Uh huh. So. Uh, but then the dead, like these other voices of the tortured souls around him, are telling him to wake up. Yeah. Like, they're just like. Which no, is don't Annabeth listen. and Grover trying to wake him up, but also are these are these voices voices of the souls and the dead who are trying to get Percy to leave? Uh huh. For real, like. It's a great question. Uh, but then he wakes up. Yep. Cool. Uh, Annabeth uh, wakes him up and specifically says, uh, well, Annabeth said, the zombie lives. And I want to read more into that. Do you? And, and be like, maybe this is like some really subtle foreshadowing about him being undead at some point in the future. Hmm. And this being a thing. But I don't know. It's probably not. We'll see. Yeah. But uh, I thought the, the word zombie was interesting there. Um, anyway, they woke up. Uh, Annabeth has cooked breakfast by opening a bag of porn chips. Yep. Grover went exploring. And what did Grover find he out in the woods? a pink stuffed animal poodle. Oh, uh, no, no, no. No? Wait. Are you sure? Yeah. It's, it's not actually, stuffed. It's alive? <laughs> it is alive. Whoa. It is a real pro- poodle and Percy's talking to it. Not Percy. Grover is talking to it. Yep. Um, add that to the list of Grover's superpowers that we didn't know he had. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he has he has magical songs that he can play on his pipe. Like he's got a uh, he can read people's emotions and he can talk to animals. Oh yeah. Like, uh, I mean, that's really more of a druid ability than like a bard ability. So like we're kind of maybe he's, maybe he's, Grover, he's Grover's classing for sure. Grover's multi classing a little bit here. Yeah. Um, but he can talk to animals or at least dogs. Poodles specifically. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. If you if you want to get as specific as the text says, he can speak yeah. to poodles. What a useless superpower that would be! Like you can speak <laughs> to animals, but only if they're poodles. Yeah, That's... or only if they're only if their fur is dyed a non natural color. <laughs> yeah, I mean that would be that would be much more useful because you could just go and dye any animal and then talk to it. Yeah, but, but... then you have to walk around dyeing people's pets, and you'll probably get like <sighs> that. Entirely possible. Um, but he found this pink poodle in the middle of the woods named Gladiola. Yep, Gladiola. Uh, who is a boy. Is he? Yeah. Oh. Uh, all the pronouns, uh, refer to him as him. Oh, okay. Named Gladiola. Got it. So, uh, take from that what you will about Gladiola's owners, but also the type of people that would dye a poodle pink. But apparently Gladiola comes from a rich family, uh, and is out here, uh, trying to escape, um, but has given them the information that they are looking for Gladiola to come back. They're offering a $200 reward for his safe return. And apparently through the conversation uh, between him and Grover, he's just like, yeah, really don't want to go back, but y'all need money and I'm willing to help you. What Grover did to... Because I read the lost and found picture for myself. Yeah. (laughs) And they're offering a $200 reward. Obviously. Uh, what Grover did to ingratiate himself to this poodle, I don't know. Yeah. Other than just he kind of encountered him and they had a conversation and the poodle's just like, oh no, I'll go back and give you guys the money. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Maybe there's some context we missed there. Uh, but they've stumbled into $200. There you go. Which is obviously enough to get three people from New Jersey to Los Angeles. Obviously. <laughs> Plenty. This book was written in 2005. There's a lot more money back then. I still don't know if it was enough. <laughs> here, here, let's do a quick little conversion. In I'll 2008, 
the financial crisis happened. It was costing $600 to fly from California to Florida. Yeah, really not that much. So $200 in 2005 would be about $300 today. Yeah. So still not a lot to get three people across the country. Yeah. But uh, it is more than what they had. So. It's enough to buy (laughs) train tickets? Maybe. So they're apparently right by the Amtrak station. Gladiola also let them know that the train that goes to California leaves at noon. Because Gladiola just happens to know <laughs> that information, too. Gladiola's Not good. only did he read his reward poster, he also went and checked the train schedules. And hence my bullet point, the poodle seems contrived. Yeah. Because, like, the poodle has way too much information and, like, ability to help them for just, like, a thing they found in the woods. Mm-hmm. Like, this, this is the very definition of a deus ex machina. Um, which, I mean, could be, it could be one of the gods helping them. Could be Pan. Could be Pan. It, they, it, this could very much have been put in their path. Uh, and if it's not, I'm going to say it's a really dumb plot development. <laughs> because, like, there there are ways to get the money that don't seem as contrived as a pink poodle coming out of nowhere and offering yeah. them $200. Like, for example, <laughs> I've never encountered a register with only $20 in it. <laughs> yeah. Like, that would have been easy. So, like, I guess I, I do like the conversation that happens between Grovey and Purser. Grovey. Grovey. Grovey and Purser here. Purser. <laughs> Percy and Grover. I like the conversation and, like, all the reveals. However, I think the poodle thing is completely unnecessary to the plot of this book so far. Maybe yeah. I'll be proved wrong later. But I, I feel like this is a useless chapter that doesn't need to exist a little bit i mean like all of the exposition in this chapter needed to happen but we needed to have a reason for grover and percy to have a talk after grover and annabeth had a talk yeah cool but yeah um and then it does feel a little unnecessary Especially because while I have read the first sentence of the next chapter, yeah, me and too. there's no description of them returning the dog. Yeah. Just plot spoiler. Yeah. Plot spoiler, the first sentence in the next chapter is we spent two days on the Amtrak train. Yeah. So. Nope. Obviously, that means they did it. Uh, so they take up Gladiola on his offer, they return him, and they're going to get on an Amtrak train. They're not taking a bus. No. No, no. buses. No more buses. Uh, and get to L.A. Westbound train leaves at noon. Cool, that's the chapter. Uh, really short, as we said. Yeah. Um, not a, I, in fact, it's uh, let's see. It is barely nine pages. So. Yeah. It's a super super short chapter. Yeah. Cool. I think we covered everything. Is there anything we missed? Um, I don't really think so. I mean, the dream is the only thing I feel like we could dig more into because it has, uh, like, his mother's in it and there's some talk, too, about he's actually getting to play a role in this dream, whereas in other dreams he's been a, a, a bystander. Yeah. And he's heard all of these voices speaking. So we have this involvement of Percy in his dream that we haven't really had previously. Uh Uh-huh. But in the last dream, the ground opened up and kind of swallowed him. Yeah. And now we have him in his dream. Looking into the pit. 
underground in in Hades, basically looking into a pit. Yeah. Surrounded by what we're calling ghosts and spirits, but may have been any number of other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and seeing his dead mother. Yeah. Who is not speaking to him, is just kind of in that moment of final death where she's shouting at him to go to run mm-hmm. away from the Minotaur at the mountain or at the, at the tree. Yeah. On the hill. Yeah. So I don't know. I just found it interesting that this kind of continued where the last dream left off mm-hmm. of him falling into a pit. Yeah. But also he, this is the first dream we've described from him where he actually like, was a character in the dream. Yeah. As opposed to just an observer. He's progressing on his journey of self-discovery. I mean... He's becoming more of a person. It is a hero's journey, and that yeah. is part of it, but yeah, it's just a symbol, a sim- symbolic discussion of that in some way. So, yeah, I felt it was relevant to continue discussing that, but yeah. that's it. I mean, speaking of which, uh, since we're trying to pad out this episode, <laughs> I feel like we're really short, um... We're about halfway through the book now. Yeah. Uh, do we feel like Percy has made progress as a character? I all? think so, but I think that I thought that before, you know. I've pointed out when I thought that there was character development on his behalf earlier. Okay. I don't know if there's been more yet. Okay. He still hasn't accepted that he has feelings about his father. Yeah. So. Eh. So, we're, we're, there's we're. been some, but not, not continual. He's still antagonistic toward everybody who tries to get close to him yeah uh cool would you like to move on to the next segment sure thing what's the next segment is this our favorite sentence yeah it's a very short segment yeah it's like 15 seconds long all right here's my favorite sentence cool (laughs) suddenly i was nostalgic for something i'd never known hate you sometimes (laughs) It's also my favorite sentence here. Would you like me to read my backup sentence then? Yeah, sure. That's my favorite sentence. What's yours, Kristen? (laughs) It was using me to pull itself out. I think that that was was really interesting because it was treating Percy like an anchor. Uh Uh-huh. And it showed a... Like a thing that goes into the ocean. Yes, like an anchor, like a thing that goes into the ocean. Like an anchor, like hold. Uh Uh-huh. Which requires Percy to be strong in a way that we haven't seen Percy be strong. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think the implications of that anchor imagery, that hold imagery, that handle to pull yourself up by, this thing in the pit is pulling itself up by Percy. Yeah. Just shows how, like, strong Percy had to be or how planted and rooted Percy had to be in order to be used in that way as a as a handhold. Yeah. Okay. And what was your uh, favorite sentence, Chris? you want to read it? Oh, my favorite sentence. <laughs> Suddenly I was nostalgic for something I'd never known. I really um, loved that whole scene. That whole moment where they say the name of Pan and it just, this air blows through, this breeze comes through. Yeah. 
and covers Percy with that feeling. I loved that. Also, I feel like that is, uh, there specifically is a word for that in the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's one of the, that's one of them is nostalgia for something that you haven't experienced. Yeah. I forget what word it is, but I know it is one. Yeah, in, in John Koenig's Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows. Shout out. Love very, that series. Very wonderful series. Mm-hmm. Um, coining a term for that. And yeah, I don't remember the, the specific term, but. Yeah. There you go. I'll look it up and put it in the episode description when we post this. Perfect. <laughs> cool. Um, anyway, so we move on to our final segment. Sure thing. Uh, so in this one, we rewrite the chapter uh, from the perspective of somebody or something else within the chapter just to give a different take on the events that transpire. Uh, really don't have a lot of options for other characters in this one because yeah. we have all the main characters whose perspective we have, and then we have a poodle. So I bet you can guess who my perspective is from. Bet you can guess who my perspective is from. Cool. Did you do the poodle as well? Yeah. Like they're, they're, I feel like this is the third chapter in a row that we've written a rewrite from the same character. I mean, it's difficult to... There just haven't really been a lot of options. Well, we were both different statues last time. We weren't we were. the same statue. Correct. They're different characters. <laughs> they are. Um, you want me to go first or you to go first? Is yours goofy and whimsical or serious or? Uh, mine's serious. I, I'm, I'm experimenting with, I've been trying to experiment with different writing styles and for this one I've written a poem. Okay. So. Why don't you go ahead and read yours then? All right. So In the here. epic, and the epic tradition of oral literature. Yes. So this is my narrative poem from Gladiola's perspective. Escape from riches into rags, take up my chin and shed my tags, and to the black true freedom lies, behind dead trees and glowing eyes. Perhaps within this wood so gray, I'll shed my pink and remain astray. But now, alas, a friendly fawn, he's lost and stranded, his riches gone. His friends are hopeless on their quest but may still be saved at my behest. My masters may be cruel but fair. For my return, they'll pay their share. As much to me my freedom's worth, it's more to help this friend of earth. For my aggress will come another time, for them upon my jailer's dime. I fear for these, my newest friends, they'll never pass this way again. That's incredible. I watched you do that. Uh-huh. I sat next to you while you wrote that. You just created that. Yeah. That was incredible. Thank you. You didn't even edit. Like, you, that. you just did that, like, an hour ago. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I've done poetry for a long time. I know you've done poetry for a long time. I just didn't think you had done poetry in a long time. It's been a while. I haven't actually written one in a couple of years, I think, but, yeah. you know, still got it. Still got it. <laughs> I like it. I like it. Thank you. All right. <sighs> okay. Well, here's my perspective from the dog. Cool. Pink. <laughs> Seriously? I can't even perceive this color the way these humans do. And that might be the cruelest part. How dare they? All I know is that when people see me on the street, the looks from humans, at least, are not much different than after a good grooming and a fresh cut. 
But when the butterflies in the garden told me that I looked like a rosebush, I had to leave these humans. They obviously don't enjoy my beauty and or appreciate me. My first night out was so exciting, but cold. I considered going home. I saw the reward posters for me, pictured as I imagine I look now, but I can't see the colors. But I felt drawn away by some beautifully played classical music, just just like at home, but coming from the woods. And what I found was Grover. He isn't like the humans. He listened to me, and he could tell I was cold. He offered me an honorable way to go back home. He could collect the reward for turning me back in. If I get bored, I just leave again. And it would help him on his quest. Well, I guess it's time to go help my new friend Grover and his smelly two friends. Fun. There you go. Like your bits about not being able to stay pink. Yeah. Its color doesn't exist. Yeah. Oh, I mean, you want to get beyond the fact that the color doesn't <laughs> exist. The, the do, you, do you want to get into that argument on this podcast? It's just light red. <laughs> um, beyond that, my 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 brief googling found that butterflies of most varietals can see the color red. But dogs can't. Dogs, dogs don't perceive it as red. Okay. Well, it makes sense. I mean, butterflies are, are out looking for flowers and Everybody such, says, so. like, dogs are colorblind. Yeah. I mean, dogs see less colors than humans, but they're not fully colorblind. Like, anything that's in that red section is, like, dark or black or brown. Yeah. Um, they can't really see green, mm-hmm. but they can see blue. That's fun. Yeah. Bees can see an ultraviolet. That's really cool. And apparently a lot of species of flowers evolved to be attractive to bees, so they have really cool patterns and stuff that we just can't see. An ultraviolet? Yeah. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Nice. I like it. Yeah. Fun facts. <laughs> Fun facts about insects with uh, your podcast hosts. Thank you for mm-hmm. coming to Chronically Insects. <laughs> <laughs> Next week we will be discussing <laughs> our favorite pollinators. <laughs> you think there's just bees, but wait, there's more. Uh- <laughs> You would have so much fun with that podcast. <laughs> I would. <laughs> I would. Buzz buzz. Buzz buzz. <laughs> anyway. Bug main. Um. It's a family friendly podcast. <laughs> oh, Would man. you like to uh, take us out? Sure. Cool. Thank you so much for joining us today as we discussed chapter 12 of The Lightning Thief. Join us again next week as we discuss chapter 13, I Plunge to My Death. Well, if he, if he dies in chapter 13, what are we going to do the rest of the book? I <laughs> I feel like I pointed that out in one of the early discussions of just looking at the chapter titles. Uh-huh. <laughs> I Plunge to My Death. If you want to interact with us in the meantime, you can do that at Chronically Podcast on Facebook and Instagram, at Chronically Pod on Twitter, or you can email us your fan art of a pink poodle named Gladiola at chronicallypodcast at gmail.com. You can also support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash chronicallypodcast if you feel like it. And until next time. Always pay attention to lost dog posters. And uh, 
Always take a train over a bus. <laughs> sure. Bye. For me will come another time. Sorry. For my aggress will come another time. For them, my jail. This is the part that I had to re I scratched out a lot of stuff. This is incredible. Hello, and welcome to Chronically Narnia. This is the voice I normally talk in. Yep. It's not my special Monday voice that I put on just for Mondays. Monday voice. Parent parental <laughs> parental issues. I didn't know we were singing. I wasn't prepared. Concrete or conceptual. There, there's two different words for these. Real and theoretical? No, no, no. It's, it's, it's... There, there's a word... Subjective and objective. Those are the words I'm looking for. Okay.